ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our guest is Momoko Price, a specialist in conversion rate optimization and also interaction designer, and I'm really looking forward to this exciting conversation with her. Hi, Momoko. Hi. Thanks for making it today. Very nice to have you here. Yeah, no problem. So I want to do a quick round of Blitz questions with you. And this is the first time we're doing it here. So uh, let's be forgiving on both sides. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, I have a series of questions for you regarding your, you know, background and stuff. And then we can dive in exactly into conversion rate optimization, which is, you know, the key juice of our conversation today. (laughs) Okay, dokie. Great. So question number one, what do you do for a living? I am a conversion-focused copywriter and interaction designer, um, and I work for my own sort of solo consultancy called Cantan Designs. And right now, uh, I primarily work with um, on retainer with MetaLab, which is a Victoria, BC-based um uh, design agency. They they make a lot of cool apps and stuff. They also designed Slack, which I think most people are familiar with. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're awesome, and I do I do a lot of uh, work with them. Great. Question number two: How did you get there? How did you serve the company that oh created God, Slack? I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, I've been. With the metal, so I've been doing my um, solo consultancy stuff. I first started out in con- doing con- sort of content strategy. Um, I worked as a communications director at a Toronto-based uh, startup um, called BuzzData, which is like now defunct. And um, from there, I kind of realized after a while, and I have a background in journalism and um, uh, working as a as a news editor, and. Um, I went into content strategy because that's kind of like a natural diversion. And then from there, I really started getting into, uh, you know, Joanna Weave's stuff, which is like copy hackers and um, split testing. Um, and we connected and then she, I guess she really liked the cut of my jib, but she started sending me work and um, clients and they all worked out really well, um, which is great because then she sends me more clients. Um, and <laughs> Uh, the most recent of that was MetaLab because she had um, worked with them in the past and they had a great relationship and they need, she wasn't available and they needed someone. And she was like, talk to Momo. And ever since, you know, we've been, I've been helping MetaLab ever since. Sounds great. So what does your day look like? That's the next question. Well, uh, we work from home. We live, my husband is a developer and, um, we, um, and he's also sort of a solopreneur and we live in a, in the woods (laughs) (laughs) and we live on an acreage, um, in this sort of, uh, in a place called East Souk. And, um, I generally get up at like eight I don't know, make breakfast, work from home and, you know, take breaks and go on walks in the woods. Um, generally speaking, I try to make time in my mornings, uh, to work on my own projects, but lately I've been doing a lot of stuff, um, again with MetaLab, um, working on some pretty complex, um, 
uh, app. Anything you can disclose here <laughs> or not? <laughs> no, I, ca- I can't tell you about that. All right, don't. Project. Then don't. So, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But um, usually I'll start out by doing sort of my own stuff um, and working on my own consultancy, like managing the business. And then in the afternoons, I'll try to make time uh, or I do make time for doing client work. Awesome. What do yeah. you and we have oh, all right, was, go, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and we are lucky enough in our uh where we live that we have a lot of wildlife. So a lot of times I'll just go outside because we have deer and we don't own them, but we have a lot of deer and quail and like wild peacocks. That visit our house. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. So we so I like go out, like hang out <laughs> outside for um probably too long, but yeah. Great. So, yeah, that yeah. really contributes a lot to what it looks like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we live in a really weird area. Where, like, we were really surprised when we had uh, feral peacocks, like, peeking into our kitchen windows and stuff. <laughs> Great. <laughs> really so, what do you enjoy most about your work? Must be the peacocks? <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Um, I feel... Uh, I think the thing I like doing most um is this sounds really cliche but like I think one of the the biggest perks is when I do a lot so a lot of what I do whether I'm working with a client or whether I'm working on my own stuff is like customer research right so or user research where I do a lot of interviews and I do a lot of like either user testing uh or heat map analysis um and sort of like digging into analytics and I think the things that make me happiest are when we find very clear, easy wins, like, like small changes that provide big benefits, um, just through that sort of investigation, Mm -hmm. right? Like, um, and those are just so rewarding when you find those. Like, I think, um, most recently, I think one of the, you know, I, I had a, an interview with a client or sorry, an interview with a client's users, uh, or customer, and they mentioned something that was just such like the smallest tweak that had to be done uh, to the product that basically eliminated. Um, like we're talking, we're talking literally like changing a, devo- a default value from zero to one, and it eliminated like seventy five percent of this client's uh, phone calls. Like yeah, customer sounds complaint. amazing, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like literally, for, like, and that was like so simple. It was just like. And it never would have been found if we hadn't actually talked to them. Like, they probably wouldn't have mentioned it. They would have just kept going and having, like, all these phone calls coming in with this problem because of the product. And I was just like, oh, we just were able to fix it by changing literally, like, a keystroke, which is amazing. That's amazing. Such success stories. They just fuel your spirits for the project, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just, like, it's, like, detective work. And that's what I think (laughs) about it. Like, you know, there's the creative aspect, but then there's also like the Sherlock Holmes aspect of it, of like really like asking around, figuring out what's going on and getting like a really clear understanding of like what the problems are and then just removing them one by one. I think that's, that's for me like a big thing is the, um, 
it's like streamlining and like efficiency. I love that. I love removing friction, I think is like my big thing. <laughs> my other big thing is just removing things entirely. <laughs> That's yeah. my personal <laughs> favorite, I guess. Um, yeah. Make people like, pay you thousands of dollars. You can come in and like cut things in half, right? That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Like elimination testing is like the best thing ever. I think one of the things that uh, I know this is supposed to be like a blitz, like right, fast. right. Let's, that's fine. Thing. We're just in but, onto something here. <laughs> yeah, like I honestly, I feel like if you're gonna, if you're not doing conversion optimization, or you're not doing like split testing, um, or just testing in general, I swear to God, like one of the things, get a heat map tool, like get Hotjar. You know, you can get the free version of that if you want, um, and like run some heat maps on a ta- on a page, and then just like have fun with like removing stuff like find stuff that like find chunks of pages that just like clearly are not getting any any engagement and then rerun the test and see like how your click-through rates improve and and you know like it's just such a it's such a small thing that you can do um but it's so powerful i love it i think that i think lance jones i think joanna's business partner slash husband lance was like he he wrote a blog post on that like years ago that was like the one thing you're not doing is elimination testing and it's awesome. And I was like, yes, it is. <laughs> we'll try, we'll do my best to dig that post out. Uh, must be great. Yeah. So yeah. next question. Uh, what do you enjoy the least in your work process? Um, I would say, uh, I'm sure a lot of designers can relate to this is uh, clients who be careful um, here because they might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> clients who <laughs> so, uh, very opinion like I think one of the things okay so I think one of the most fruitful um, workflows that you can have with a client is when you and your client are on the same team and you understand that the objective is to understand the user right and like that the feedback loop of improvement should be you team up with the client with the client and you produ- you gather data about the customer or the user, because it can be a prospect or a customer. It depends on if they have customers. But you get that information. That's the input to the system, right? And then you come to a hypothesis. You figure out, like, what you think the best solution is based on the feedback you got from the user. And then with the client, with the client's approval, that is, you sort of publish whatever your solution is. And then you gather how the customer reacts. So it's a, it's a feedback loop of uh, you sort of quote unquote versus the customer, right? Like your input comes from the customer and then your output goes to the customer. That mm-hmm. is the best case scenario. And your client is sort of like hitching a ride into this process and they watch you do that and they sort of contribute in some ways, but you're on the same team. I think the thing that I hate, which is what, where a lot of uh, clients who are less familiar with conversion optimization is um, they think of a, con- of, of a conventional redesign flow where it's not you and the client together focusing on the customer. They want it to be the consultancy focuses on the client only. So it's a feedback loop where nobody's paying attention to the customer. Nobody's paying attention to the user. You're not getting any information from that feedback loop. And it's just you trying to make the client happy and the client is constantly changing their mind. Um, and it's a subjective thing. And whatever you produce, even if your client loves it, uh, then you actually put it out in the wild and it fails because you didn't actually incorporate 
the user into the feedback process. That is the thing that I hate. <laughs> and it's really hard because a lot of agencies, I think, uh, will, will cater to that workflow of, well, you're paying the bill, so we will pay, we will produce whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Guilty as charged, actually, because in my case, sometimes it's a sequence of various steps. One of the one of them can be, you know, no user input. Then we build something mm-hmm. a little, and then we test it. Then we get user input. But yeah, unfortunately, I can't, you know, <laughs> can boast that I would do this all the time. Sometimes it has to be like enclosed in a in a little room so that you can focus on building something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not, you can't do it all the time, but like, I think, and I think for, for app, um, for general, like product design, it can really depend. Like if your client, uh, came to you and they just need something built and they have a vision, um, and they have the understanding that their vision could fail, uh, then it's, you know, you can go along with that. Um, but if they're coming to you and they're like, we want to improve conversions, which is like, that's what that's where people come to me for if they don't understand that like the feedback loop that we need to be working with does not include their opinion, right? Like we should be focusing, we should be working as a team to figure out how to cater to the user, not to them specific, them, them personally. Absolutely. Right? Like I think yes. that, mm-hmm. yeah, like then that's the thing is that like vision can play a huge role in a brand in branding and, uh, and in uh, initial product design, for sure. But if you're, when it comes to actually like conver- focusing on conversions, um, vision has like nothing to do with it <laughs> as much, right? Because the customer doesn't really like. At the end of the day, the customer doesn't really care about what your vision is that much in the short term. Like when they're on a website trying to do something, right? We should they put just, that in like huge letters in, on your forehead that customer doesn't yeah. care about a vision, you know. <laughs> Yeah, they don't Sorry for interrupting you. Like, <laughs> yeah, and half the time, like, you know, I think that can really be an issue with um, conversion copywriting, especially because, um, you know, words are te- <laughs> technically words are non-technical. Um, so people, stakeholders can tend to feel like everybody can contribute and they, um, you're trying to make a scientific process. Like you're trying to use things like, message mining and voice of customer data analysis to figure out what messages you need to put up front in your information hierarchy to make sure that the customer understands like what they're supposed to do, what's in it for me, you know, like, you know, um, and when stakeholders don't really understand that process, especially for copywriting, they expect brand copywriting. So they want, they want like 50,000 foot in the air, uh, vision statements on their homepage, you know, that like don't mean anything, um, to an outsider because they want to focus on what their brand is all about as opposed to like catering to what the user came here to do or came to your website to do. Exactly. So that, yeah. So that, that was a really long answer to like, what do you hate (laughs) most? But like, I feel like that's like a reflection of like, oh God, she hates a lot of stuff, but it's like, I don't know. It's just when you're, when the, when the feedback loop is, flowing in a healthy way, which is like to the customer and from the customer, then it's awesome. But when it gets stuck into, you know, only focusing on to the stakeholder, like feedback loops to the stakeholder and from the stakeholder, 
it can get re- I find it can get really frustrating. Absolutely. I hear you so well. So next few questions. Uh, one big win from your experience and one big failure or the failure that you learned something from. Mm, I think so. I think a most recent thing that got me really excited was finding out that a, a client of mine um, shortly after I did a redesign for their home, for their site. Um, they were called Respondly and they had a really, they were, um, I had a really great time with them and I redid all their, uh, site content. Um, and they were like awesome clients. I, I still like love those guys. <laughs> They're amazing. Um, but one of the coolest things that happened was shortly after that, they were acquired by Buffer. Whoa. Congratulations. Um, yeah, which was he- and I didn't even know. Like and I found out like like shortly up and like, yeah, we were really excited and I was like, that's amazing. So, um that was cool and that's the one thing that I remember recently. Um a biggest failure uh I think it, I think one of the things is when I first started doing conversion optimization and I think a lot of people um probably do the same thing is um, focusing, not, not setting up your metrics properly, I think was, um, something that I only learned, um, after I've been doing it for a while, which is like, it's not enough to, uh, run a test where you're only looking at like the click through rate on that given page, especially, I mean, it's fine if your sales funnel is like literally like, one page right like if you have a landing page and all you're doing is like you just want to get like you know signups to a a newsletter or something then it like that's kind of okay to just focus on like only the next step because the next step is the confirmation page right so like you've gotten the uh you know if people move on to that page and then you've gotten the conversion and i think um when you first start you can sort of focus on like click through rates or, or button clicks or stuff like that. When really like the only, I think that one of the best um, pieces of advice I ever got was from um, on conversion optimization was from um, Pep Laja. And he basically was like, if you're not focusing on, if you don't, if you're not focusing on uh, meaningful KPIs, like key performance indicators for your conversion optimization, like you're, you're wasting a lot of time and the best way to, figure out what your KPI should be for any sales funnel is like really at the end of the day, a sales funnel conversion should result, a meaningful one should result in either money or a lead, like a good lead, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't, if none of, if your test does not at the end of the day have like that KPI at the end of it and you're not measuring for that, even if you have a test that's like, at the super top of the funnel, if you're not still tracking that downstream from that test, um, then you you're pro- you could very well be wasting time mm-hmm. because you're not making any real business growth, right? So, could you recommend big- any resources or blog posts or something like that to read about so that our listeners can go and fine tune their uh, metrics for that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, okay. So uh, I think they, if they haven't looked at the conversion Excel blog, which is Pep's uh, 
mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. Like that's a great one um, for looking at. Uh, like they, he has some great stuff on on tweaking your analytics. One blog that I absolutely love, and I don't know, like he is so awesome, but I don't see him in any conferences or anything like that. Is um, there's a, a blog called the Optimized Smart blog, and the basically Smart, mm-hmm. yeah, just so Optimized Smart. I think it's optimizesmart.com. Mm-hmm. And I go, I love that guy's blog post because if you have ever tried to wrestle with Google Analytics, this guy, you know, his name is uh, Himanshu Sharma. And uh, his blog posts on how to like debug your analytics are fantastic. Like he doesn't do mixed panel or like heap. Um, but I mean, you should have Google Analytics integrated with your split testing software as a baseline always anyways. And you will learn, he will break down everything for you. Like, it's amazing. I love that guy. Um, another good one is, I think, now that I think about it, obviously, is the is Avinash Kaushik. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name properly, but he, uh, he does the Occam's Razor Analytics blog. He was mm-hmm. a Google Analytics... Angelist. He was one of the, I think, the earlier ones, mm-hmm. and uh, he has a lot of great breakdowns and like custom reports that you can use. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that like, if you haven't, if you're, if you want to get into testing, um, it, don't assume that you can just dive into testing without having a clear understanding of how to con- like configure your analytics properly. Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you, you are setting it up wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's, yeah. All so, right. Awesome. Make sure uh, that. <laughs> go uh, ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just saying, like, just make sure, like, make sure that you spend some time to actually really understand how your conversion optimization um, metrics are set up. Like, don't just be like, oh, I have optimize- Optimizely. Actually, Optimizely's gotten a lot better. You can track revenue. Uh, they have a beta feature now where you can like set tests and like basically do e-commerce tracking within uh, just optimizely. I haven't mm-hmm. used it yet, but mm-hmm. it seems pretty cool. All right. So the last question is, what's your next big thing, as you think, outside of MetalUp or inside MetalUp or as you wish? Mm. So the the project that I am hoping to do is called uh i'm calling it one thing cro and um i would like it's going to be a productized service where basically startups and small businesses um can get into the process of um uh testing every month like running tests every month and learning from those tests and redeploying to optimize their sales funnels without having to like pay $30,000 for uh, an agency to come in and, and do all that stuff for them. So I would be sort of doing a, a done for you, a, a stripped down service where we just run tests every month um, and keep optimizing on your sales funnels. I think that's the, that's like the main one that I'm, I'm planning on getting off the ground. Sounds spectacular. Do you have like a landing yeah. page for it so that no. people know? Maybe you, maybe you have like no, a, not, yet. not yet. All I, right. I will though, um, but I don't. 
have one up yet. So what if people want to hear more about that? Should they email you? Yeah, they can email me at um, momoko at cantan.io. So cantan.io is the URL to uh, my consultancy. Mm -hmm. Um, And people can always get in touch uh, to ask about that. Yeah. Right. So this awesome thing is coming up. And... Now that we got all the big blitz questions sorted out, <laughs> we can proceed to our main topic of the conversation, which we definitely already touched. So I feel like we've already jumped into like a lot of the stuff. Right, that was, right. Like, the no worries, no worries at all. So <laughs> it is conversion rate optimization, which for a lot of people is like a magic black box where you are supposed to, you know, optimize pages for the best performance for achieving mm-hmm. results, be it sales or signups or whatsoever. Can you define mm-hmm. what CRO means for you? And then maybe we can jump into the actual steps that you follow with your clients and in your work. Yeah, I mean, I feel like conversion optimization is a word that people who do conversion optimization as a living, like kind of love hate now, because it's given a lot of recognition to the field. But at the same time, it's not actually, uh, it's not new. It's, it's just basically like taking, like, <laughs> it, it's basically like iterating on empirical data that, about your users' behaviors and about how they think and then trying to improve upon those and then testing them. Like, that's it. That's like, but that's been done since like the beginning of business. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> people have been doing that forever. And the people who are good at it are the ones who sort of document and learn rather than just like throwing things at the wall uh, and then having things fail and then starting from scratch again. Like I think the only real difference with conversion rate optimization is that you are, you are taking in data about what your users are doing formulating a hypothesis about it, making a, a, like tweaking something or changing something in your sales funnel to support that hypothesis or sorry, to, to, to not support the hypothesis, but to, uh, implement the hypothesis, I guess, and then put it out there and then actually like take in the feedback and just keep doing it. Like, it's like lean startup methodology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not really that different from that. Like, I feel like the word conversion rate optimization has sort of made it sound like it's like this magic, like these magic tweaks and tricks that you can do to like improve your sales or improve your signups or improve your click through rates. Um, and it's not true like the only thing that really matters is that you are listening to your customers and you are watching what they do and you are thinking carefully about what their actions and what their statements reflect in terms of their motivations and then meeting those desires right like meeting those needs whether it's a pain point or whether it's a motivation you are meeting those needs of your users and then the, the needle starts going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So the optimization part, we definitely deciphered here. It means continuously improving based on the data that you get as input yeah. to your system. So yeah. maybe you could clarify to some of our users who are new to it, uh, what actually conversion means and how that relates to the sales funnel and what kind of you know conversion we can be talking about. 
like right sales sign so, ups what what do happen to call you know conversion events or whatsoever well conversion like technically the most I think the most accurate statement is like when you say conversions, what you're talking about in terms in the context of uh, online sales is that you are convert. It's the conversion of a user from one state to another state, right? So uh, if someone comes to your web, like someone might come to your website and they haven't signed up or anything and they, they're new, right? They're a new, they're a new visitor to your website. So their state is that they're a visitor. If you want to, uh, so the, the first conversion would be converting them to, uh, being a subscriber, right? So that's the conversion. They're converting from the state of visitor to subscriber. And then maybe after once they're a subscriber, then there's the next conversion challenge, which would be converting them from like a free subscriber to a paying user. So that's essentially what your what conversions means. And then so from convert to that's when awesome. you start talking about that's awesome. I've been yeah. doing Cero myself too. I've it's never occurred to me that it has that origin of the word really. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's so top of the tongue, you know, kind of definition. You never think into it. Yeah. Like that's literally what you're doing is that you're trying to convert the user from one state to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it can get really lost because people just start using it interchangeably with almost like any metric, you know, and there are so many different metrics out there. So they're like, oh, it's free signups. Oh, it's like, you know, it's retention or it's like, you know, bounce rates or it's this or it's that. And it's like, no, no, like, <laughs> like strip away all the, all that stuff. What you're really trying to do is just get people sort of more. Yeah. Basically. I, I guess the end goal is to get them to be loyal and paying customers at the end of the day. That's mm-hmm. like the holy grail, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and then there are smaller conversions that, that lead up to that state. Exactly. So you're operating the term sales funnel there. And mm-hmm. it's not like I don't know what it means, but uh, what uh, a sales funnel might look like for a SaaS app, for example. So our goal with Cero is kind of make it wider and, and get more people onto a next stage rather than leaving mm-hmm. them out. That's why it's called a funnel. Yeah. But yeah. what kind of steps can we expect and where on these steps do you come in and do Cero, for example? Uh, well, with SaaS, I mean, this, the, the most conventional setup, I think, for a SaaS product is usually that they'll have, like, um, if you have your product, obviously you want people to sign up to it. Um, and a lot of SaaS products will try some kind of a freemium-based or tiered pricing. So the top of the funnel is basically people entering your site, right? And then as they get further along, in getting further along in, in their interest um, might be, well, mm, sorry, I'm just trying to think of, yeah, so they would go, they would go enter your site, that's the top of funnel, Maybe they would check out your features page or whatever, but they'd browse around. And then they would probably get to a features page. So your first, or sorry, not features page, pricing page. Mm -hmm. When you get to your pricing page, generally speaking, you'll have like a bunch of tiers and maybe you'll have like a free trial, right? So the first conversion step that you're trying to get through from someone just visiting your site is to get them to sign up to the, like a free trial or to the free plan, um, that would be like the lowest uh, or the 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 lowest barrier conversion or that you would try maybe, to get them to. Yeah, or maybe a free course if the startup is doing some educational marketing, that's right? What was, that's mm-hmm. what I was kind of thinking. I was they do these days, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
like I would say like, you know, one of the things you might do bef- even before that is you would have some sort of an intro course mm-hmm. that someone can buy, like just pure free value, a free giver giveaway of some kind that someone can um, uh, sign up to. And then you can sort of keep reigniting engagement with them through that so that you your product is kind of in their top of mind or you as a brand are kind of in their top of mind. Um, and then they might come back later, you know, or or they might be prompted through your course um, to go and check out an actual product. Exactly. Or check out the product and then sign up. And then mm-hmm. obviously from there, once they do the free plan, you know, the ideally what you want to do is is a reduced churn so that like they actually like use your product <laughs> and don't just like disappear after they sign up, which happens a lot. And then get them involved in or get them to move up to a, a more higher value plan. Exactly. So yeah. now that we have the definition, uh, let's follow, let's define the steps and the, the components of that CRO process. And we've already touched on the first one, which I think is setting up your, um, your tools, toolkit when it comes to analytics, right? Mm-hmm. Or should there be like first pr- like strategic stage where you define your objectives first? <laughs> oh, no, you should totally define your objectives <laughs> I just figured that should be really first in any kind of project and not exceptionally this one. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you actually like post images or anything like that on, for your podcast? Oh, we definitely could. Okay. Because I do have a framework that I might share. Oh, where, right. Let's uh, do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can, because one of the things that I think is really important for a conversion focused uh redesign or even like testing is like you need to be able to say what your high level goals are um and then be able to translate to how like figure out how to translate that into measurable metrics Mm -hmm. on your analytics Mm -hmm. site right and like there's often a disconnect between that like someone will have like a high level vision goal and then you know you're like well what does that mean in terms of like conversions like what are we trying to do in terms of like measurable goals on your website and in terms of what we want users to do on your website and sometimes there's a disconnect there so I do have a framework that kind of uh you put the high level goal first and then it will break it down into okay so if your high level goal is to be like I don't know the best cat food store mm-hmm. <laughs> on the planet and ever have you know Im- you know improve cat nutrition across the world like that's your high level goal then you would kind of break the framework kind of breaks it down into um okay well what's our strategy to be able to make that happen right okay what tactics within that strategy are we going to use to do that online um and then how does that break down into your business like your your high your macro conversions like what kind of leads or what kind of dollar value transactions are we going to be having at the end of your funnel and then what are the micro conversion steps that a user has to go through to complete that that fine or like to sort of complete the funnel mm-hmm. like or or move all the way through the funnel and so I, I usually have like I actually have a worksheet that will sort of guide you and the client or sorry you and your team through that process so that you so that everything matches up and you don't have any disconnects between the high-level vision and the like low-level analytics of what you're trying to measure. So did I get your message right that everything boils down to something, uh, to the to the valuable KPIs, key performance indicators, usually what you said is money or something else? 
It was, generally speaking, I think for, for conversion optimization especially, like in terms of like actually uh, capturing value that grows your business, you should either be, at the end of your funnel, at some point there should be either leads or there should be leads. money. Right, exactly. <laughs> I forgot the other one. So money or yeah. leads, because that translates into money on the, on the further not automated uh, steps of the funnel, which is consulting. Or yeah, it's like money or leads, because that's really like... Leads that's, are money, just <laughs> the middle of conversion. Are, yeah. <laughs> Right. Like mm-hmm. leads, leads eventually lead to money, hopefully, <laughs> unless. Yeah. But those are those are your high level, I think, most common KPIs for almost any business, because if you don't get either of those, how are you growing your business? Exactly. Like, so this is a top so. level step one strategy, setting up goals, translating goals into actual metrics that you'll be tracking. Then yeah. step number two is um, actually setting up analytics for, to measure these KPIs? Uh, I would say, I mean, you should keep those in mind, mm-hmm. right, and have them available. But then the next step before you start setting setting up your tests really would be, I would say, to do the research. Okay, your favorite aspect. phase, your favorite phase. Yeah, my favorite phase <laughs> is the Let's research Let's focus phase. on that, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so um, a lot of I, and I've had clients come to me, or not clients because I usually don't take them on as clients, um, but prospects who will come to me and they're like, oh, you know, we've done, like, we, we really want to optimize our conversions. And I'm like, okay, cool. And they're like, you know, we're hoping that we can get some quick wins and, and just dive into testing. And I'm like, okay, but what kind of, like, customer research do you have? And they're like, oh, uh, I mean, we talk to our users and I'm like, okay, that's awesome. You talk to your users. Great. Can I see the transcripts? Can I see the transcripts? Can I see the, the chat logs? Can I see like all the information that like, so I can see exactly what your users care about and talk about, um, and use that as like the substrate from which we're going to generate a hypothesis on things we can improve. Right. Um, and a lot of the times that whole piece of the puzzle is completely missing. Like mm-hmm. they just think that they can start changing things on the website without having any research and they're going to get improvements. And a lot, it, like most of the time you are not like <laughs> you should like, um, I think uh, one of the great, um, I think this is really interesting is that, uh, that blog that I told you about the optimize smart mm-hmm. blog, the guy who writes that him and Sharma, one of his, he's an analytics guy. And his one of his top recommendations for doing conversion focused analytics and like getting like fast wins um, is to do voice of customer research, which is basically like doing interviews with your customers or uh, watching like like doing user testing, basically like <laughs> putting all your focus on your customers or your visitors to the site, um, and then just whatever problems come up from those interviews because they're going to come up. People are going to complain about stuff or they're going to talk about the stuff that they love. Just start taking those down and those are the ba- that's the basis of your hypotheses. Those are the tests that you can run to improve your site. But if you don't have that piece of the puzzle, if you don't have the research part of the puzzle, part of the puzzle you are like just doing a shotgun. Appro- like you're just changing things with no direction. Mm-hmm. Right. So the number one thing is like, listen to your customers, talk to your customers and let them tell you what to fix. And then 
gather that information, write it down. Like the number of times people tell me that they talk to their users all the time and I'm like, did you record that conversation? And they never record it, ever. And it frustrates the hell out of me, but it's the number one thing you can do. Record the conversation, get it transcribed, and then like share it with your new team and then start generating your, hy- your test hypotheses from that, mm-hmm. right? So then once you generate those hypotheses, you're like, okay, well, we've had five out of 10 user tests, we've had five people complain about the fact that they don't understand what there's like, they don't understand what the value, what's in it for them when they land on our site. They don't understand what the value is of our product. So we need to fix the value proposition, mm-hmm. right? So then you would say, okay, well, five out of 10 people complain about that. That's probably a problem. So we're going to make that our next test. We're going to say we need to fix the value proposition and make it more clear. And so that becomes your first test. And then you would... Um, to be able to figure out how you should adjust it, again, you go back to those transcripts to listen to what people say they came there to do, right? Like what they landed on your website to do, what they're hoping to do, shape the value proposition to reflect that, run it as a test, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and then that's, yeah, I'd that's like, to, like the... Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm done. <laughs> I'd like to highlight uh, the value of writing it down, actually, because... If- Conversation and conversation transcribed are completely two different things. Suddenly, it mm-hmm. gains shape, becomes searchable, and gets actual value into a process. Not just, you know, becomes an audio file uh, on the dusty shelf in the corner of your yeah. closet, you know. <laughs> yeah. And what I will actually do, so a, a, big pro, a big aspect of doing voice of customer research, um, like it, a lot of people don't realize this. It's actually like a, like a very... Uh, rigorous research method that I think was originally promoted by like the Six Sigma people, which is, um, you know, sort of like a gold standard of business development. Um, but uh, what you, what I like, what I'll do is if I if I take on a client and I will do user testing, um, I'll do uh, customer interviews. Um, which are like, you know, liter- like they can go for like 30 minutes to a half or 30, mi- 30 minutes to a half an hour. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. Great. 30 minutes to like an hour. Right. Um, and they're very open ended. Um, they're kind of like po- podcast talks. Um, and, uh, you know, and then I'll do message mining. Like a lot of uh, one of the best things you can do if you're building a product um, but you don't have any customers yet is look at competitor products. There are so many rev- people like write online reviews for products all the time. And there are websites that are, especially for SaaS, that are entirely devoted to user-generated reviews where people literally say for a given product what they hate and what they love and what they would, they they will give you that information for free. It's just sitting there online on like a, you know, like on like websites like G2 Crowd or like Merchant Maverick. Um, I like, I will take all of that information. I'll get it all documented and transcribed or written out. And then what I'll do is I put, I take like key excerpts of what people say they love, hate, or need from a given product, whether it's yours or a competitor's, and I put it into like an Excel spreadsheet. And I will have like hundreds of rows of excerpts of people saying what they love, hate, need. And then I break it down and I sort of, I'll break it down so that I can figure out what the most common themes are. Mm -hmm. Right? So 
so you can literally quant and this is this is a big aspect of voice of customer research is what you do is you don't just listen to what the customer is talking about you talk to a whole bunch of customers and then you quantify what are the themes that float to the top as the most important and most commonly cited themes that customers say that they either you know love hate or need right and once you get those then you can you can kind of like you have a really strong hypothesis of what you need to change either about your product features or about your messaging um, or maybe your pricing, but those things will sort of float to the top. And then you're like, oh, okay, like 75% of our users say that, um, you know, they need this one key, like they like this one key feature, but it doesn't, they wish it could do X, right? So we're going to build that because we have a very strong empirical support that this is something that your customers want. So I think that that's one thing that um, in the research phase that gets really overlooked is that, and it's, like, I'm not going to lie, it's super tedious, like, to, like, <laughs> make a giant spreadsheet of, you know, excerpts from user reviews or whatever, and, like, to be, because you can't really automate that process, like, because you, you, like, it's it's not, um, it's not easily sortable or categorizable, it's not a word, but you have to, like, go through and, like, read each excerpt and figure out what the high-level take away from that is and then categorize it. But once you do that, then you get a really, really strong understanding of like, what are the things that you need to be focusing on for your, either your product development or your uh, sales funnel optimization or your, you know, your, your product messaging, right? It all comes sort of comes out of that spreadsheet. And then once you get that, then you can start diving into the next step, which is coming up with the treatments and then setting up your analytics Okay. And then running the tests. Okay, so research is the most important phase because that's what feeds your further decisions on what to test, yeah. what if to you don't improve. Have the, yeah, like <laughs> if you can't, if you, you just do the research until you get a very strong understanding of like, like it should come out to you. Like it should, you should be talking to your users until something very clear, <laughs> a clear thing comes out that's like, fix this thing because like it's stopping people from actually understanding why they should buy your product or understanding how your product works like it should the hypothesis you shouldn't have to reach for the hypothesis it should like if you've done enough research it will stand out to you it, you'll be like oh my god we need to fix this thing like now yeah then you're ready to run the test you know what i mean like then you're ready to go in and and do a treatment that you think will fix that issue and then get the analytics to, to support that, you know, and maybe it'll fail. Like sometimes it'll fail, but the, the biggest problem I think is, and the number one thing that I find when people say that they've done testing and it didn't work is I'm like, well, what kind of research did you do? And they're like, <laughs> research. And then I find out that the, what they actually did was they read a blog post that talked about tweaking a headline. And so they tweaked a headline or they changed a button color. Um, you know, and uh, like, I don't know. I, I think I, I think I deviated from it before, but the, the analytics guy I was talking about from the optimized smart blog, like he's an analytics guy and he's like the number one thing you can do, um, to get fast gains is voice of customer research. Mm -hmm. If you, if your focus on for conversion optimization is just fixing problems that come up when you talk to your users, you will be busy all day. Like you will never run out of things to be testing and changing um, and improving because they will constantly come up. 
users will talk. And he's, and it, he makes a really good point where a lot of people want to just focus some, I don't know what it is, but people like don't want to talk to cu- their customers. <laughs> it's really <laughs> odd. Like they, they are huge. I find that, um, you know, product is product, um, you know, entrepreneurs and, and, uh, uh, everyone is a very strong proponent of, uh, lean startup methodology and agile development and all this stuff, but they don't actually want to include the user in the process. Because it's not easy and it's scary and it's time consuming and it's like really, really tough. (laughs) It is. I guess it's because, but it, but it can also give you the biggest wins, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're not shooting in the dark. Right. And like, it's, it's tough because like some of your ideas will get shot down and, um, you know, it can hurt when you like have this awesome idea and the user just like doesn't get it. They're just like, this is dumb. Right. <laughs> right? right. Like, but at the, at the end of the day, like if you don't get that information to tell you to, you know, that, that what you're doing isn't working, like how are you going to make any progress? You know? Absolutely. So yeah, like I think that, I think that um, customer research is like the number one thing that people should focus on before diving into testing um, because everything else comes from that. And it's interesting because customer research, user research, it comes up in various, you know, flavors and shapes in every industry that's facing the consumer. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about customer research when it's all about product strategy and what exactly we're going to build. We talk about that when we do, you know, UX practices also include plenty of mm-hmm. that. We talk about that when optimizing copy. It's everywhere. So I guess that's number one investment that any startup or company can do is actually talk to their customers and clients. And write it down. And write it down. Great. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> Record everything and then get it transcribed. There is a You can use a site called um, rev.com, which I use all the time. And uh, it costs a dollar per minute of audio to transcribe, which is crazy cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very reliable, and they turn it around in like a day. You can give them a recording, uh, and they'll, you know, an hour long recording of an interview that you did with a customer, and they'll, you'll get a transcript back the next mm-hmm. day. That's awesome. Um, sometimes even earlier. So, okay. like, there's really no excuse to not have that information um, written down so you can, like, review it and search it and uh, sort of quantify the themes that uh, are coming out. Um, whenever you talk to your users, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's sad to admit that we are running out of time for this conversation, but we have oh. a few other steps left for for the uh, you know to complete the whole process of uh, CRO that you go through. Could you give us a brief right. overview of remaining steps? So once you've done the customer research, then um, what you should probably do is if you want. So it depends. Okay, let's assume that this is that you're not doing like a, a wholesale redesign, right? Mm-hmm. That you're doing like an iterative test. So you do some research and you find out that like the rest of the steps are actually pretty straightforward. So you do a bunch of research and let's say that um, uh, a specific page on your website or step in your sales funnel is like super confusing, right? Like users don't know what to do. And they don't know where the call to action, they don't see the call to action or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And you get that from your research. And so you have to fix it. So the next step is to um, write down the hypothesis. <laughs> so 
generally speaking, um, I will have a worksheet that I use that um, where you have to write down. So it, it's a test worksheet, right? And it will say, I have a, like a table and it will have, um, you know, what is the page that you are changing, right? Uh, what is your hypothesis? So what do you, what are you, what do you think is the problem and like, how do you expect to improve it? Mm-hmm. Basically. Mm-hmm. So you say, we expect that our conversion, like if a call to action is not visible enough, then, you know, we expect that repositioning this call to action, you know, in like closer to the F pattern <laughs> of, of eye tracking or something like that will improve click through rates on this button or clicks on the call to action. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's your hypothesis. Write that down first. Um, before you start running your tests, right? And then once you've done that, then you have your hypothesis written down, then you need your control, which is the page unchanged, and then you need your treatment, right? Which is the alteration that you're going to make that, uh, the, I'm trying to think of how to say it, like that implements (laughs) the hypothesis, or that that tests the hypothesis in a conclusive way. So you say that you think that, Things are going to improve if you put the button in a different place. Then you your treatment puts that button in that different place, right? Um, identify in your treatment and your control what the metrics that you are tracking are, right? So micro conversions and my, and also you want to be tracking macro conversions. Um, once you've done and then once you have those things, um, then you're ready to sort of uh, implement those on your testing, like through your through your testing software, which is probably going to be something like Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer uh, integrated with Google Analytics or uh, Mixpanel. Um, and then you would basically just run your test. I, like, And I think that's one of the things that's, that's really important to mention um, when you run your test is that you should make sure that you're whatever you're using to split test should be properly integrated with your overall analytics tool mm-hmm. so that your mm-hmm. data flows accurately from the test that's running into like buckets of your control, like control traffic and treatment traffic. Um, mm-hmm. And you can differentiate those in Google analytics or uh, heap or mix panel or whatever you're using. Okay. Sorry, oh. that because oh. th- those steps that you mentioned definitely uh, deserve better description deserve on their time. own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, we're running out of time. It's really awesome uh, to hear that all this, like the workflow that you mentioned, it's still so much fed with research. But um, any other quick, uh, you know, advice or quick wins that people can implement on these steps? Like one of the common mistakes is getting, uh, you know, not uh, not good, re- um, getting the connection not good enough between your analytics and and the and the, met- and, uh, the actual events. What other common flaws do you see in your practice? Uh, making sure that your data is clean, I uh-huh. think, is a big is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's data pollution is um, a re- like if you have not conclusive if you've not taken like explicit steps to um 
make sure that you have, say, cross-device. Well, I, I'm not going to get into that because it's, it's a little bit uh, more technical. But, like, say, just even basic stuff like filtering out your internal company traffic. That's one of the things that people, I find, rarely do uh, on their own. And then they come to me and I'm like, are you actually filtering out your, like... <laughs> are like are you do you are you making sure that your you know your staging traffic isn't getting mixed up with your uh production traffic are you making sure that your uh company um activity on the site is getting filtered out from your analytics and they won't do that so that's that's another one is data pollution um you can look it up like literally block like look up like uh sample rate pollution or data pollution conversion rate optimization mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you'll like blog po- there are a lot of blog posts that will come up on how to sort of debug that but if you don't have clean data uh then it doesn't your results are meaningless right like so it's really important to make sure that you uh you clean that stuff up first um i think another thing that gets brought up a lot is uh people calling their tests early so mm-hmm. they will run a test and they think that they can see a pattern that's happening in the early steps and they just decided to just call it, whether it's a win or whether it's failing. Uh, they just stop it before they get a proper, um, before the test reaches the right sample size for it to be statistically valid. And uh, that's a huge, that's a very common problem. Um, a great way to not do that right. <laughs> is to... Is to um, Calculate what your sample size per treatment in your tests should be before you run the test. Mm-hmm. So if you look up, um, there is a website called Evan Miller's AB Testing Calculator, I think, or Evan Miller's uh, Sample Site Calculator, or sam- Sample Size Calculator. Mm-hmm. And if you go there, it is a, a very simple, straightforward um, statistical calculator where you just input like what your expected rate of change is, um, what your baseline conversion rate is for your website. And it will tell you like, okay, you need to run your test for this long. Like mm-hmm. you need to get at least this many visitors in each treatment um, before you can call your test. Okay. Right. So it's good thing to, to figure that out early um, and then just run the test until you hit that number. Okay. Um, thank I you for... I had the time to dive into, I wish <laughs> yes. I had the time to dive into why this is really important, but it gets really like wonky and uh, numbers, it dives into number stuff. And uh, But it is really important, so you can learn all about that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Online. Thank you, Momoko. Oh, yes, <laughs> I think it's a treasure, uh, treasure episode for anyone. And too bad it couldn't be three times as long as it is now. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry if I like, jumped off onto like no. eight different directions. It was totally but... very valuable. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. just to recap, um, you already mentioned where people can find you online, but could you please recap? Or what's your big site? Uh, so the site is uh, called Cantan.io. So K-A-N-T-A-N dot I-O. Um, I wish I was on Twitter. I killed my Twitter account. Please don't judge <laughs> me. But uh, I just, I'm too ADD to, to uh, balance that in my life. But I do love email. So people can email me at uh, momoko at cantan.io. So M-O-M-O-K-O at cantan.io mm-hmm. and I will actually get back to you. 
Awesome. <laughs> Sounds amazing. You should write a book about all these things, definitely. Or do something uh, yeah. else to share your knowledge in a more extensive way outside a podcast episode. <laughs> No, uh, one of these days. One of these days I will. Yeah, thank sure. you. Thank you so much, Momoko, for joining us today. And uh, good luck with all your new beginnings and your new service. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'll, yeah, anytime. And I had a really good time. <laughs> awesome. And have a wonderful day. Thank you again. Okay, bye.